You're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 256. Every single person in this world experiences fear. So it's not that we are ever going to eradicate fear or get rid of it. It's that we must contend with it in a more powerful way. Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and thanks for joining me on the show today. Before we jump into the big, big, big topic I have lined up, I want to share with you a past guest spotlight. This week, it's Annette Pardon of Fill My Jar, the most amazing toffee and caramels you'll ever experience. You can hear her story back at episode 172, and of course, I'll have a direct link in the show notes for you as well. Go listen if you want to know more about using pop-ups as a major sales activity, particularly great for new exposure and instant sales. So catch this, Annette just purchased a building and will be opening her brick-and-mortar store this spring. The location is perfect. It's right off the train and a few blocks away from Brookfield Zoo, which is the large zoo here in the Chicago area. Her additional plan is to get involved with the community and particularly with special needs children and adults. How exactly? She's not sure yet, but I know she'll figure it out. Congratulations, Annette, and you know we're all wishing you the best as you build out the store and open for business. A trip to the zoo this summer is definitely now on my calendar. Moving on to the topic of the day, fear. Fear with a big capital F. I really think this is the biggest obstacle we all have that stands in our way of achieving our dreams. We're afraid of failure, so it's better to just not even try. We fear what people will think of us if we put ourselves out there. So it's just better to stay silent. And our very own inner critic, that little mean girl, isn't very helpful either. She sits in our mind and tells us all the ways we aren't cut out for something or that we don't have what it takes. With all this, it's amazing how any of us move forward and realize our dreams at all. But guess what? Many of us do and so can you. I feel indebted to our guest today because Amy tackles this fear problem in a whole new way. She explains why we experience fear, and even more importantly, how to deal with it in a real life way. Not through theory or just saying to yourself not to be scared, but with advice that really can move you past dream-shattering inactivity. Amy, take it away. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Amy E. Smith. Amy is a certified confidence coach, masterful speaker, and personal empowerment expert. Founder of The Joy Junkie, Amy uses her roles as coach, writer, podcaster, and speaker to move individuals to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-love. 
With acute focus on helping people find their voice, she's highly sought after for her uncommon style of irreverence, wisdom, and humor, and has been a featured expert on Fox 5 San Diego and YourTango.com. Amy, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Hi, Sue. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat today. I'm excited to chat today, too, and I know this is going to be one of those episodes that people are going to go back to listen to over and over again, myself included. I'm not telling anybody the topic yet, (laughs) but (laughs) they're going to just have to wait for a second because I want to do what has become a tradition here on the show, and that is having you describe yourself through a motivational candle. It's a little bit of a creative way of learning something different about you. So if you were to help us envision a candle that would be all you by color and quote or mantra, I guess I'd say, what would your candle look like? Oh, my first thought was that it would definitely have like a lot of aqua and turquoise. And then I thought, who am I kidding? It would have all the colors. (laughs) (laughs) I tend to be very expressive as far as, well, let me just say this. Leopard print is my neutral. So I need to work really hard at actually having neutral colors in my life. You could even say like that leopard print is my neutral is your motto. (laughs) I love that. I've never heard that before. I think that's great. (laughs) That could definitely be my motto. But I think there's a quote that I use all the time in my work, and it's by a woman named Irma Kurtz. And it says, givers have to set limits because takers rarely do. And it's a perspective or kind of mantra that I operate a lot of my business under. And it's this idea that if we are not speaking up for ourselves, if we're not contending with fear and looking at it in the face and making powerful, courageous decisions, we end up putting everybody else in front of us. We allow ourselves to say yes to things we don't want to say yes to. And we end up sacrificing a lot of our own happiness. So I think that would be probably the phrase that would be kind of embedded. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us can understand that for sure. Do you think everybody does it? Or do you think there are certain people who have a tendency over others? Well, I'll tell you the two major categories I think people fall into that I see the most is extremely, I guess, like an extreme people pleaser, like doormat style, always saying yes, always concerned about everybody else's feelings. And then there's kind of the polar opposite that is extremely assertive, but they don't necessarily assert themselves with kindness. They're more combative and a little bit more stark and intense in their delivery. And that's quite simply because we've bought in as a society to this idea that if you speak up for yourself or if you are assertive, then you're actually being kind of mean or malicious or adversarial in some way. But to answer your question, I think it really comes down to our primitive responses. Some people tend to be more of the flee type when they feel threatened, and some people are the fight type when they feel threatened. And then there's this small grouping that tends to freeze. But I think it's part of our wiring. So, you know, this idea of being fearless when you create your business or when you put yourself out there or when you try a new design concept or something like that is really irrational. Like we're not going to ever be without fear, but we can choose how we contend with it, regardless of what your response tends to be. If it's, okay, just let's do everything for everyone else or being kind of a bulldozer, you can definitely contend with fear in a different way that's more powerful. Okay. Well, I definitely want to dive more into fear. And I think that's going to become one of the big topics here today. But before we really go into it to that level, I'm really curious, how did you get into coaching in the beginning? Are you coming from another profession or training or how did you land here? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So I have been working in personal development probably for almost 15 years now, uh, about 10 plus that I've been doing it solely. And my background prior to that was in makeup artistry. And I had done the whole working your way up the corporate ladder. I worked for a prestige makeup brand. And I think by all accounts, I had the quote, big girl job. I was traveling all over and had an assistant and a company car and all this fancy stuff for being in my early 20s. It was quite accomplished. And I remember I had this very poignant moment where I was driving home from one of my stores. And at the time, this was early 2000s, we did all of our correspondence via Bluetooth while I'm driving. And we had this a really elaborate voicemail system. So I was constantly leaving messages for my managers and my teams and all of that. And so what that meant is pretty much on my commutes, I was working as well. And I had this very pivotal moment where <laughs> Kelly Clarkson's breakaway came on the radio. <laughs> and so that, again, it gives you context of the time frame. Mm -hmm. And I had sort of this epiphany, not just because the song was so resonant with where I was at, but because it had been ages since I had even afforded myself the simple pleasure of listening to music in my car. And it dawned on me, like, you don't even listen to music anymore because you're so enraptured and engulfed in this career. And I just start bawling my eyes out. I'm kind of like scream crying, like, break away, I'll spread my wings. And I had false lashes kind of sliding down my face. I really kind of looked like the Joker. <laughs> Some <laughs> snot bubbles there, I'm sure. So I get home and my husband's like appalled, like, oh my gosh, what happened to you? I held up my fingers and I was like, I am this close to completely losing who I am. And that was the distinct moment, sort of the impetus behind me searching for something else. And I realized that if I was going to be working till all hours of the night, and if I was going to be so stressed out, I wanted it to be around something that I cared about, that was my passion, that was my dream. And that's really when I started searching. And coincidentally, my husband came home one day and said, there's this career I heard this person on the radio, and it's what you've been doing your whole life. You've got to look into it. It's called a life coach. And I was like, really? What? I don't even know. And he felt so convicted about it that he had sent away to a school to get more information about it and was like, you need to look into this. You really, he was really quite pushy about it. And now, of course, he loves that he was such a huge part of that evolution. And that was really how I started transitioning. But for many people who own their own businesses, I'm sure they can relate. And perhaps your story is the same, where I had to wean myself off of the quote, big girl job or how people go, why don't you get yourself a real job? And you're like, uh, I am, I'm creating that now, which I'm sure we can dig into. So that was very much an interesting transition because I had on one side of my work life, I was talking about makeup artistry and something really creative. And then on the other side of my life, I was coaching and working with these really deep, intricate fears and desires and things like that. So it was quite the juxtaposition for a while, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. So the thing that I'm loving about your story is that you totally had your husband's support because he presented it to you in the beginning. And were you buying into it once you understood what it was? So it felt good to you right from the start, too. And then to know that you had his support just made it all the better, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. And I like what you're talking about, too. And this is a good example for people who are listening, because a lot of our listeners also have a nine to five. 
they might be listening right at their desks right now. Who knows? And I am an advocate of winding one thing down while you're bringing something else up. Some people say, well, just jump in with two feet. And I think, especially for the industry that we are, gifters, bakers, crafters, makers, that's way too scary and dangerous because we're putting ourselves out and our personal products on the line. And it's just too risky. And when you do that and you need to get those sales in because you need to be paying your monthly bills and all, you start to look more desperate and it's not even any fun anymore. Yeah, it might be your baby, but it's no fun. So I love you talking about winding down one, ramping up the next one, and then eventually letting the other release. That's right. How did that happen? How long did it take? That took a couple of years. I worked very much in increments. And I will say that I completely concur with you, with the exception of people who will not get into any action unless they go cold turkey. Because I do think that there are a select few people who have to pull the rug out from under themselves or they will never, ever, ever make a change. Now, I'm not wired like that. That scares the crap out of me. I need the stability. I need the structure. I need to account for everything. But I have met a handful of people who really have had to take that massive leap because they knew they wouldn't if they didn't have to force themselves into it. Interesting. Yeah. So I think it's about honoring how you operate, like really understanding what makes you feel safe. And I think that's different for everybody. I had a really good fortune because I resigned out of the higher profile position that I was in. And then I worked for one of our pro store locations in a retail aspect. And what was great about that is I could then start dropping down in days. So I originally worked five days and then coached on my two days off and was working on marketing and websites and all of those things on those two days. And then I swapped it for four days and three days. And I kept kind of weaning myself off the day job because I did have that good fortune of being able to step down in hours. But at one point, then it becomes you need to supply your medical insurance too, right? Because I was carrying that for the family. So there were certain things that I had to incrementally bite off. And so those became the goals. It was, okay, I need to make just enough in my coaching world so that I can make sure I pay for our benefits or so that I can make sure I pay for my own coach. Or I looked at it from a very formulaic way and really did all the number crunching and decided, okay, what has to happen and broke it down into small mini goals. But prior to any of that, before I did any of that, my first goal was just to make enough money to pay for my own coach, which was a requirement for the coaching certification that I went through. And then it it just kind of elevated from there. So I think also when you listen to podcasts like this or you see people who have really built some really incredible establishments, it's easy to get down on yourself and go, gosh, I'm at square one. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And you really have to do these baby steps in order to, it's the compound effect. You keep accumulating and accumulating these successes. And then before you know it, you've got this thriving business, but you have to temper yourself from that comparison to where everybody else is at. Yeah. I mean, your example sounds like the perfect template, if you ask me, because also while you were going through your certification, you're also validating that this is really what you want to be doing. Because, you know, it might sound good from the outside, but then when you actually get into it, what does this involve and actually start doing it? What if you didn't like it? Right. I mean, you never really know until you get started. That's true. So just the stair-stepping, I think, is really great. And unfortunately, you're saying that some people just 
jump in because that's the only way they're going to get something done. Some Mm. people, even if they're not really conditioned to do that, end up having to jump in because they've been released from their nine to five. Right. They've been downsized. And then what do you do? And luckily in this economy right now, I think there are jobs, but there are times when there aren't. So it's almost like the only thing that you can do. Right. So everyone has different situations, obviously, and people have made it work regardless of the situation they start from. I think that's a big point. Completely. Yeah. I have to mention, and obviously I had a really seamless situation. There is a gal who I just graduated with. We both went through the same hypnotherapy program and she has, I believe, three children. She had no vehicle and she was also diagnosed with cancer. And she took a bus to the training every after her work every single day and ended up being like on the dean's list and winning this prestigious award for all of her dedication and her cancer is in remission. And it's just incredible what's possible when you've made that definitive decision of I'm going to make this happen for my life. I've heard this great quote of you either make time or you make excuses. (laughs) And that's really what it comes down to if you want it bad enough, right? Right. Yeah, you've got to have the passion for it. And you have to have the reason why you're doing it, which is over and above the reason you're providing for your customers. It's why you're doing it for yourself. What does it personally fulfill within you? Yes. Because that's what you need for the passion to keep going. That's absolutely right. Okay, so let's dive into this, Amy, and I want to kind of lay the groundwork here because when we first connected and I was reading up about you and all of that, I'm like, oh my gosh, you have to be on the show because you can really help us out with where a lot of people get stuck. Mm -hmm. I run into all the time, whether I'm out at trade shows or I'm speaking or people are calling in or whatever. I hear about so many people who want to start their business. And the first answer, this is like the top line excuse, I don't know what to do. Okay. So that's the first thing. And that's where I can help because that's what my purpose is. Okay. Here's how we get started. Here's a proven method, et cetera, et cetera. However, some of those people won't even start. And I know it's because of fear. I know they either don't have the confidence. They can see that it can happen for everybody else, right? We have guests on the show who are showing over and over again their situation and how they've started their business and what's happening and the growth and all of that. But we have some people who just won't get off the dime. And I think really it's fear. So can you help us with this? Sure. Well, the first thing to understand about all of that is, well, I'll give you a little hack on the I don't know what to do. That phrasing, I don't know what to do, or I don't know, I don't know, is an end statement. It's basically a place where you can keep wallowing in this vortex of like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And it doesn't progress you forward. So one of the simplest things that you can do, if that's something that you say, is to follow it up with the addendum of, but I'm going to figure it out, or I'm actively searching out my solution, or I'm in the process of creating. I don't know, but I'm in the process of finding out. I will figure it out, or I'm capable of sourcing it. Something like that, where we are still continuing a forward movement. It's okay to not be clear, but it's not okay to stay stagnant if there's a dream that's going to die within you, right? Like we still need to continue to move on. So using something like that can also be kind of a quick little fear buster because that I don't know excuse can really take hold. Well, it's kind of setting it in an intent too, 
So because if, if you've been using this and this has just been your excuse, like I'll hear a million people, I'm going to write a book someday. Well, you know, 10 years later, they're still going to write a book someday. Yes. Same thing with starting a business. I love this end statement then leading to an additional statement because it's setting intention that, all right, here's where I am, but this is what I'm going to do about it. That's right. And it takes you subconsciously from a place of victimhood, like this is happening to me and I don't know what to do and blah, 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 to a place of survivor and power, personal power, where you kind of go, oh, but I'm going to make this happen, but I'm going to source the right mentors or the right materials or whatever it is in order to help me progress. So that's one small thing. The thing to really understand about fear is that it doesn't matter what race you are, what ethnicity, what sex you are, what how you identify. Every single person in this world experiences fear. So it's not that we are ever going to eradicate fear or get rid of it. It's that we must contend with it in a more powerful way. So I'm not a big fan of the word fearless because from what I understand, there's only been one documented case of a woman who actually did not experience fear. And unless you are she listening to this radio <laughs> or listening to this episode right now, then you're going to be dealing with it. So I have coined this term being fear optimized to make as useful and as effective as possible. If we're going to have this fear, let's make it useful. And I think the best way to do that is to stand in a place of courage and you have to acknowledge what you are afraid of, first of all, before you can decide that you're going to move courageously forward and in spite of that fear. So an example of that might be if you've been really having this trepidation about starting a new business, let's say, and let's say you're really, really passionate about pottery, but then you also really, really love jewelry and you don't know if you should combine them, if you should just do one thing. And so you've gotten yourself all in this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So take some time and look at what am I really afraid of? So actually defining it, because I think a lot of people are just afraid, but they never really understand what's behind it. Is that what you're talking about? Absolutely. Because fear is an emotion. So we feel it, but we haven't necessarily unpacked it to go, here's what this is actually about. Because when you think about it primitively, we experience fear when we think that we're in some kind of danger. Now, that has now evolved where we're not actually in danger of losing our life, like at the hands of a saber-toothed tiger in days of old, right? But we feel that way if somebody doesn't like our new design. We think, oh my gosh, that must mean I'm going to die. That's what's happening on a subconscious level. I know that sounds totally hyperbolic, but that's true. Where When somebody doesn't like us, we're afraid of not being accepted into the fold. We're afraid of losing our survival. So we create this total jump to conclusion that we're somehow radically unsafe if somebody doesn't accept us, if a design doesn't get approved, if we don't get a business loan, if a website isn't flawless. We take those fears and we make them mean that we are somehow not going to be successful. And what we really need to do is unpack what is that fear really truly about so that you can then choose your courageous path, right? So if it's something that's about your own ability, then you need to choose a courageous path that's about your ability. If it's fear of success, then we need to engage with success in a different way and start working on courage as it pertains to that. If it's fear of failure, if it's fear of other people's opinions, then we have to tailor our courage to those specific issues. Can you give me an example of that, the tailoring portion? 
Sure. Well, why don't you tell me what is one of the biggest fears that people say that you hear? One of the biggest fears that I hear, I don't know for sure if it's always just an excuse, right? But one of the biggest fears is I'm not sure what the first step is, as if there's only one correct first step. Okay, perfect. Right. Like if they don't land on the correct thing, it's none of it's going to work. Yes. Okay. So a perfect, courageous question to ask yourself would be, if I knew the very first step, what would it be? (laughs) So it could be because we get lost in sort of this crazy vortex of our mind when we actually do know. We know that we could go to Sue's website and we could look at all of her resources. We know that we could check other podcasts that are associated with this podcast. We know that we could do a Google search. There's a lot of stuff that you could actually do. But when you stay stuck in that place, you're allowing fear to win. So the more courageous thing would be to ask yourself, if I did know the first step, what would it be? Or if I didn't have to have the perfect first step, what would it be? That's behaving from a place of courage. Yeah. Or what little action could I take? Absolutely. So maybe they're thinking of a really big first step when really it doesn't have to be that big. It can just be a little foot forward advancing towards that step. Right. Absolutely. It could be totally small. It could even be who is an authority on first steps, right? Like Mm. people who help you distill and crystallize your vision. That's one thing that I would have done differently from the very beginning is hire mentors and strategists to help me instead of feeling like I had to do it all on my own. I think that's priceless. And one of the best, best things that you can do is if you're so stuck, hire somebody to get you out of that stuckness. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I love this. Okay. So the first thing we have to do is unpack and really define where that fear is coming from. What's underneath that fear? That's right. Okay. And then take some type of a step or action, break it down smaller and do something. I think it all comes back to some action. That's right. You do action even though you have fear. We can't be courageous unless we have fear. (laughs) Yeah. It has to be present in order for us to behave from a place of courage. It's not courageous unless we're contending with something a little bit there. So knowing that, okay, I'm worried to do this craft fair. I'm nervous that nobody's going to buy anything. Okay. Well, what's the courageous action that I can take? I'm going to go anyway and trust that I needed this experience. And I'm going to focus on, I know you're a big fan of law of attraction. I'm going to focus on what I do want instead of what I don't want. So I'm going to picture my booth being saturated with customers with so many inquiries, maybe an amazing alliance that I can help them. They can help me something, you know, visualize what you really want to occur, not necessarily because it's this crazy woo woo thing, but because now you're occupying your mind with something different. You're occupying your mind with something you do want as opposed to something you don't want. Perfect. Okay. Should we take this more about fear? Or I have another question about the craft show booth situation. Which way should we go? You tell me. Let's do that one. Let's do the second one. More of Amy's great advice coming your way right after a word from our sponsor. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How you ask? By offering personalization with your products. Wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. 
Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or find packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. So what happens, you do everything that you said. You go to the craft show. Mentally, you're seeing a full booth. People are looking at your product. You get a few sales, but it really doesn't meet your potential, okay, of what you had wanted and a goal of some sort. How do you get yourself not to be saying, okay, this did not work. I'm over it. Yes. Great question. Well, you have to, I think, first of all, give yourself permission to feel what you feel. So if you are disappointed, if you're saddened, if you're frustrated, you need to acknowledge that emotion. Most of the time we don't. And that's why we drink or we end up on Facebook for five hours or we throw ourselves into another project without really unpacking what just transpired. And I think it's a piece of emotional intelligence. And it's to acknowledge, wow, I really didn't get my way. That hurts. That's unfortunate. And allow yourself to ball your eyes out or beat the crap out of your bed or a punching bag or go for a run or scribble furiously. Do something to expel whatever energy you are feeling around that letdown. Then once that's happened, now you can regroup. Now you can regroup and go, okay, what were the things that were successful and where are some of the pivots that I can make in order to change this? And that could be seeking help from a mentor. That could be a group that you're a part of, like a mastermind. It could be uh, sourcing articles online, but finding a way for you to look and go, okay, well, I really didn't look at how much traffic was going to be at this event. I didn't realize that it was geared more towards home furnishings or something. You like you do more research. Maybe you don't want to do in-person events as much as you want to sell online. Like who knows, right? But you have to evaluate what happened. Was it successful? Is it worth it for me? And taking that as information instead of you need to quit. It's okay, that didn't work. Now I'm one step closer to something that will work. I think that's so important. And this is a concept that I've just recently been diving into more versus trying something, it doesn't work, then totally disconnecting and trying something else. Instead, trying something, evaluating and adjusting, as you're talking about, a lot of people are calling it wash and repeat, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But just doing a similar thing with some tweaks, because you already have a learning about it versus just closing the book on that and starting something else that may or may not work, but at least giving every experiment a try or two or three before you discount it totally. Because it might not work the first or second time, but the third time you blow it out of the water. And my only caveat with that would be if you're trying a method or a strategy that you absolutely do not like from the beginning. Like we were talking, you and I were talking about the influx of podcasts before we started. That's one marketing avenue. So if you feel like, oh my gosh, I should do a podcast for my business, 
but you absolutely hate it, you don't keep finessing. You listen to like, this is not my method. Maybe YouTube channel would be better for me, or maybe Pinterest is better for me, or maybe paid advertising is better for me, or in-person networking. So you can still have different strategies, but I think it's about really paying attention to why did I try this strategy? Is it because everyone's telling me to do it? And that's a place of really refining, does this feel right to me? Is it a matter of just tweaking it? Because no matter what, that inner critic is going to come in and say, see, you're not good at this, see, and it will jump to this massive conclusion. And that's when you have to engage with that voice, that voice of fear and say, hey, no, we tried this. We're going to give it another go. We didn't have enough marketing materials or we didn't get the word out enough or we're our booth. We need to pay for a better location of booth and we're going to tweak some stuff. And of course, you're scared. And that's okay. Just talking to that voice inside you. So, yeah, I mean, you talk about the fact that we all have fear. We all also have that inner voice that's not going to be so nice to us sometimes, right? That's right. And so I guess just accepting that that's going to happen. Yes, you're right. If you don't like what you're doing, don't keep doing it. That's not going to work long term for sure. But just understanding that that those things are going to come up and it exists for all of us, I think is really important. So excellent. That's right. Okay. And so I'm thinking that another reason people have fear And it's counterproductive for my audience because some of the best people who can buy your product first are friends and family, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Because they're willing to try your product. Let's say your shopping cart doesn't work. They're going to be much more forgiving. Let's say your design needs a little bit of a tweak. You're going to get valuable information from them, et cetera. But often I see people not wanting to tell anybody that they know that they're starting this business because what if it fails? And so they have the fear of success or failure, I guess I would say. And so they want to just keep it and they're like, well, I'm going to tell everybody when it's going really well, when the very people who could help jumpstart the business are the people you're not talking to. Right. And it all goes back to the fear. What do you say about that? Well, I think it really depends because I think that there's some way in which we are all wired where, especially as children, we want our parents to come through for us. We want our moms or our dads to be our biggest fans. And I don't think we ever stop wanting that approval. But I don't think that everybody's friends and family are capable of championing you the way that you really need to be championed. So it depends on the nature of the relationship. So one of the things that I would suggest is looking at these key players in your life and looking at, are they capable of being the support that I need? Or do you have that parent or that sister who is always like, oh, you're starting this now or, oh, then that's not the person to go through. That's not the person who's able to hold your biggest vision. That's why I'm such a proponent for peer masterminds, people who are in the same space as you, who can champion you. Because unfortunately, one of the things I see, I don't know if you see it as much, is that family tends to be the worst as far as supporting and getting really getting in the way of these grandiose visions and they want to kind of knock you down. So I think it depends on the nature of the relationship with the family. And what I oftentimes say is speak your truth into ears that can hear you. Not all ears are capable of hearing you. They're always going to say you should go to medical school or they're always going to say get yourself a real job. Now, if they're not, 
and they are incredibly supportive and it's just your fear that's holding you back, that's an opportunity to be fear optimized, to say, okay, it's going to take a lot of courage for me to share this with my sister, but I know she will be thrilled for me. And then I think it's a matter of using your words and being very clear about the support that you need. So for instance, if you are really working through some insecurity or some confidence issues to tell your partner or your best friend or your sister or your mom or whoever and say, hey, listen, I'm really, really struggling to get this out in the world and I'm feeling incredibly vulnerable and sensitive. Here's my request. I want to show you what I've been working on. My request is if you have feedback for me that's more constructive, will you just be really careful with your words, not because you have to, but because I'm requesting that and I'm just feeling really fragile and it would mean the world to me. So if you're not totally in your strength, say it, (laughs) you know, say I'm feeling really sensitive about this. So if you can just be gentle with your feedback, I'd really appreciate that because you matter to me. Gentle, but still honest. Right. Of course, honest honest, but just courteous in how you approach that. I definitely want to hear it because you matter to me and I care about what your thoughts are. And this also feels a little bit like a baby. (laughs) Yeah. So I think sometimes a lot can be alleviated by simply asking for what we need from that person. And then I've met plenty of people who say, give it to me straight. Don't sugarcoat it. I don't want anything blowing smoke or anything like that. Like, please just give it to me straight. So again, that depends on how you operate, how you prefer to receive feedback. You know, you also get people who are condescending, like, it's like, oh, that's so sweet. You're going to turn your hobby into a business. You know, that kind of tone. Yes. And oh my gosh, that just grinds me. For some people, it really fuels them and like, oh yeah, watch me. But other people, it's like, oh yeah, I shouldn't be thinking about this in the first place. Yeah. My whole come from in my business is a lot around speaking up and being vocal about things like that. So I call that stuff out really quite quickly. Like, do I sense some like a condescending tone there or do you not take this sort of a business seriously? Or like I would really contest that. Yeah. Call them on it. I don't find that an acceptable way to treat people. No. Okay, well, I like that because that's nice, short and sweet. Like, seriously, you know, if you're my friend, why would you say it that way? Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing to me because in my community, there are some people who have products that even I'm like, ooh, I just don't know if it's going to work. But then come Monday, like in our Facebook group, they'll be like, yeah, I sold out of everything. And it's like, okay, clearly I'm not their customer, but look, they're being successful. That's right. So who am I to speak, right? Like, I'm not their audience sometimes. That's right. And I think you're touching on something that I think is so incredibly important, especially when you start out, is you want everyone and anyone to love what you are creating. Of course you do. Of course you do. And that's not going to be the case. I mean, we just have to make peace with the fact that we're not for everybody. But what you have to remember is those customers are not for you either. So it works out perfectly. When I first started my business, I obviously am a little bit more brazen. I'm a little more forthright. And I'm obviously not doing anything of this nature on this show. But I tend to be a bit of a swear bearer. And I don't watch my language. I don't have any trouble being that. And there are people who that is not for them. And so I'm like, great, because then you're not for me either. And it works out perfectly. I've realized that if I wanted to be vanilla and attract absolutely everybody, okay, great. But that's not me. I'm like mint and chip with some butter pecan (laughs) and then some swirls. And I want that type of a customer as well. 
And what I have found is that the more anchored you are into not making excuses or not deviating from who you really are in your brand, the more you attract your perfect person, the right person for you. Yeah, I mean, that would be some huge advice that I would give you is do what feels right for you. Do what feels really in alignment with what you believe in your values. Right. And you're going to attract the right people for your product when you make the right mix. And it's okay if people walk away from your craft table and yes. they're like, ah, nah, that's okay because there are enough people who will say yes. But this leads me to another question here, which is, let's say we're going, we are having the courage, we're afraid, we go to a craft show, we've got the booth set up, everything is fine. How do we present a confident persona when underneath we are freaking out? Ooh, this is a great question. There is an awesome TED Talk about this by Amy Cuddy. I don't know if you've seen it. It's specifically about how body language influences our emotional current and how we feel. And in that TED Talk, she talks about power poses and how we can actually affect how we feel in our bodies, particularly confidence, if we stand in postures that are embodying confidence to begin with. So a couple of them are ubiquitous. One is sort of the victory pose where you have your arms up in a V shape, which is really interesting because they talk about how whether or not you are able to see or if you are blind, everyone when they win something, they tend to put their arms up in that exact same formation. So it's indicative of victory. Another is sort of the Wonder Woman pose, the hands on the hips, legs kind of slightly spread sort of feeling. So there's a whole slew of them. So what you can do prior to going into an event like that, even in the bathroom, like just doing a couple victory poses, doing some Wonder Woman poses, but then also speaking to yourself in a way that's powerful. And one of the things that I've done because I did a lot of community theater in my past is I would speak to my fear. I would speak to sort of the racing heart, to the sweaty palms, to the dry mouth before I would go on an audition. And I would tell my body, thank you so much for coming to my rescue. You think that we're actually in danger. We're actually not in danger. We're just doing something new. So I get it. You're registering this as fear. We're okay. We're not <laughs> being threatened in any way. You've got this. We've got this. And then focusing on what you know and what you're able to speak to. And having, I call it gearing up, like having specific things that you want to say or engage people with at that event and like conversation starters or things that you want to share with them. Almost always, if you just talk to them about them, like what they're wearing, what their day has been like, people love to talk about themselves. So it's an easier way than you trying to break down the chemical compound of the <laughs> materials that you used in your product. Right. And they're probably less than interested in that anyway. Right. That's right. You're going to lose people that way. Absolutely. So, I mean, and the other thing is no matter what, like, let's say you did a craft show and you sold nothing. Okay. If you're engaging with people or you're just observing what they're looking at, you're going to walk away with so much valuable information. So let's say, you know, a craft Absolutely. show isn't always sales. It's like one big test tube, if you yep. will, or focus group on your product. So no matter what, if you do a craft show, trade show, you know, if you're going for wholesale, whatever, you're going to walk away with a bunch of information. And also, I just want to mention, look at the show notes, Gift Biz listeners, and I'm going to find that TED Talk, Amy Cuddy's TED Talk, 
and link it there so you can see what Amy's referencing in terms of the visual poses, because I'm sure she's demonstrating all of those in her talk. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Wonderful. Perfect. Now, I noticed that when you were going through how you should talk to yourself, you're doing it as if you're a third person. Mm -hmm. Is there a reason to do it that way? Did you do that specifically? Yes, I did, actually. Okay. There's been more recent psychological research that has shown that if we speak positively to ourselves in a third person, almost like an outside cheerleader, it tends to be more palatable to our brain. So think about also when we are negative to ourselves. I don't know if you do this, where if you spill something, you're like, ah, gosh, darn it, Amy, or oh, Sue, wow, why couldn't you just be less clumsy or something? A lot of times we call ourselves by name when we're being negative. And I think that it can also partially stem from uh, family of origin or <laughs> things mm -hmm. you may have experienced as a child, being in trouble as a child. But it can also have the same effects. Like, for example, if you are wanting to start saying really positive things to yourself and you want to say, I believe that I am enough, that usually is a little harder for us to attach to than saying, listen to me, Amy, you are enough. Almost like you can separate yourself a little bit voyeuristically and it's like somebody else is cheerleading you on. It almost feels more credible because it's almost as if it's not you. It's another person saying that. Exactly. So it's kind of standing outside of yourself and giving yourself a little pep talk. So yeah, if you can use sort of that third person. And again, it's personal development because it's personal, right? So some things will work for some people. And so it really all that matters is if it really resonates with you and if it's something that you can attach to. So a lot of times I think positive affirmations don't work for people as well as they could because you're asking somebody to go from A to Z right away. And they don't believe that they're enough. They don't believe that they can conquer fear. They don't believe that what they have matters. So you can also use something that I call a progressive language, where you say something that's indicative of I'm on my way to. So something like I am exploring what it looks like to be confident in my business, or I am on the way to figuring out what I want for this career. So something where you're saying, I'm exploring, I'm open to, I'm working on, I'm embracing something that's progressive. And that tends to be more of an A to B jump for people when they're crafting a positive self-talk statement versus that A to Z jump of affirmations. Yeah, that kind of references a little bit what you were talking about in the beginning, too. Just the baby steps of courage, taking a small courage step versus a big right. one. So yes. Things that are doable. And then when you've achieved it, you feel stronger and then you're ready to take maybe another baby step or maybe even a little bigger step. Exactly. That's how confidence is built. You don't accumulate confidence and then go after your dreams. You accumulate confidence by taking action, sometimes failing, sometimes succeeding, but continuing with that action. Mm -hmm. That's big. That's really big. Okay. I want to touch on just one more thing that I think, I mean, there's a lot of things that hold people up, but the, and one more big bucket here, and that is being afraid of what other people think of you. When you're trying mm -hmm. to do this, when you're stepping out clearly stepping out of your comfort zone or when you're introducing things that you've made to people, it's like, oh my gosh, what are they going to think? Do I even want to do it? Or should I just stay cocooned and forget this whole thing? How do we overcome that? Right. Well, it really depends on what the fear is about because that's going to indicate what type of like tool or strategy that you're going to use. But one of the things that I'll say that could be really helpful for people is 
a lot of times we think that we're responsible for everybody else's opinions and their feelings around the matter. So, for example, some of the stuff we were talking about earlier, if people are really condescending about, oh, how cute, you're going to make that into a business or the family who says you should have gone into medicine like everybody else or why didn't you want to do the family business or whatever else it may be, you have to recognize that most of the time what we're experiencing in those moments is just straight up discomfort, is that that person has an opinion that's different than mine. And when we experience discomfort, we usually go one of two ways. We either go, okay, yeah, you're right. And we let them kind of bulldoze us. Or we try to keep fighting for our perspective. We keep going and going like, no, but you don't get it. But no, it's totally a viable marketplace. And we want to prove ourselves. So if you recognize that you are responsible for your intention, not your reception, that will change everything. If your intention is to show up to a family function, let's say, and just be proud of the woman that you are or the business owner that you are, and you are more than happy to engage conversation with people if they're genuinely interested and respectful, but if they're not, you're going to shut it down. That's your intention. You know how to handle yourself. How you are received on all of those various, that spectrum where some people might be thrilled, some people might be indifferent, some people might think you're an idiot. None of those things are your responsibility now. Your responsibility is to handle yourself in a way that you are proud instead of being so concerned about the reception. And that can happen even as something as simple as going on a sales call or a potential job interview or something like that where you're so concerned about what the other person thinks. Switch your perspective into how do I need to show up in order to be proud of Amy? Or in order to be proud of Sue, like what will make me proud of myself come tomorrow when I wake up after this event is over? Not the things that I can't control, which is what people are going to say or do or feel, but what will make me proud of how I've behaved, how I've shown up. That can change everything. Okay. And then I'm thinking also, if you encounter that, because you could go in feeling really super strong, feeling good, your intention is great. And someone says something derogatory or nasty to you, that's also where this third party talk and come back and, and say, no, you know, that's not true. Like talk to yourself about it in that moment, too. Sure. So that you can stay with your initial intention. That's right. Well, one of the things that I, again, this comes back to the emotional intelligence, because I think in those moments, we want that to not hurt. And it does. It straight up hurts. And so I think we need to acknowledge that, but untether that from meaning anything about your business, your success, your enoughness, your worthiness. Because usually we take those negative comments and we make this jump all the way to, I'll never be successful. I'm not creative. I'm not good enough. I'm not. And all that is, is that person's one isolated opinion that was really painful and hurtful. So what I usually say in my head is, okay, that sucks or that hurt, but I don't suck. That situation sucks. That comment sucks, but I don't suck. And it's separating and acknowledging like, that carries an impact that hurts. And it's okay to hurt, but it's not okay for that comment that's not your truth to derail what you really want to do in this world. I think this point alone, like just living, forget about even connected with business, because yeah. so often one statement from one person can ruin your entire night and you yeah. dwell on it. And the next day you think it and then you think it's real and all of that. So your demonstration here of saying, no, that's not true. And, and you're not making that big leap is huge. Right. Along with all the other gold you've given us here. You're clearly in the right profession, Amy. <laughs> can I just say that? Oh, thank you. 
I mean, really, really helpful, helpful hints here for us. Is there any other big bucket of fear that we haven't talked about here that we should just slip in at the end? Or are we good? Oh, you know, I danced around it a little bit at the beginning, but it's this idea that if I do really speak up for myself or if I do say like, hey, that was a really hurtful comment, that we are somehow being malicious and we have to separate this idea of assertiveness equaling being mean or equaling being malicious. So, for example, speaking up to somebody who does say like, oh, how cute or how sweet of your business or something like that to say, wow, I'm not sure if that was your intention, but that came across a bit condescending. What did you mean by that? And knowing that those small increments of us saying those things out loud, that's you fighting for your worth. That's you saying, hey, my wants, opinions and needs matter just as much as yours. And that's a self-worth piece. That's believing in your own intrinsic value. So we danced around it a little bit, but I thought that might warrant underlining. I like that a lot. And I also think that there's a way to say the same message. Like it is very direct and attacking if you say, wow, aren't you condescending? Right. Versus this is what it made me feel. You right. Know? So if you stay with what your feelings and the effect was, you can give the message and not put someone on the defensive Totally. You get your point across, but you don't totally attack them either. Yeah, absolutely. And you can always ask just with a question like, oh, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Like, how cute? Can you say a little more? Like, you can ask them to explain them. You know, asking a question can be really simple, too. Good. Wonderful. Love that. So share a little bit about the Joy Junkie and everything that you have going on there. Okay. I have one primary focus in my business and it's a program called Deep Down and Dirty. And it's a pretty massively transformational program. It's really a lot about the internal piece of believing that you're worthy, that you're enough, letting go of the self-doubt and constant people-pleasing, constant perfectionism. So it's a lot of those internal components. And then it's also paired with the external pieces of how do I now communicate that with the world? What does that look like as far as boundaries, saying no, tough conversations, that sort of a thing, standing up with family, which is a huge issue for most people. So that I decided probably about two years ago to only do that. I got to the point where I didn't want to do small little classes anymore or work one off with a client. I wanted to only do a transformational process. So that's what I do now. And I'm also just finishing a hypnotherapy program. And after that, I'll be going into an NLP program that I'm really excited about. But those components, both the hypnotherapy as well as the NLP, will be infused into the Deep Down and Dirty program just to continue to elevate it. And then working on a book. So yeah, that's kind of what I do over in my little corner of the internet. Ooh, that is exciting. Well, listen, I have something on the podcast called the Past Guest Spotlight. Oh, cool. And, you know, once our show's done and time has gone on, when you integrate some of those things in, let me know because I share what's happening with past guests in future shows. Oh, that's nice. Awesome. That's a way we can keep up with you in addition to people just coming and finding you directly, of course. Brilliant. Yeah. So where would someone come and find everything about the Joy Junkie? Where, what's the best place to go online? Probably my website is kind of the hub, and that is just thejoyjunkie.com. 
Junkie is J-U-N-K-I-E. But you'll see there I have a free workshop you can attend, like a masterclass that talks a lot more about what I do and some of the five key shifts that one needs to make in order to relinquish some of this stuff, like around fear and people pleasing, et cetera. There's a free workbook there for you. I have a podcast that I've done, but you can find all of that there. And my handle is the Joy Junkie on pretty much all platforms, but I hang out on Instagram the most. Yeah. So lots of fun freebies there. Perfect. And you guys, if you're okay with some different types of wording, (laughs) colorful language, (laughs) colorful language, well, that and if you've liked what we've talked about here and you're into this type of conversation, you definitely have to go listen to Amy and Mr. Smith, your hubby, right? Yes. Over at the Joy Junkie. It's an Excellent, excellent podcast. I've learned so much. I'm like starting to just like listen to every episode now. Oh, <laughs> I have I to start that. from Thank way you. back with you. <laughs> oh my gosh, don't go too far back. They're much better at that <laughs> recently. <laughs> well, that's how it always is, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Wonderful. Well, thank you. You have given us so much value here. And my goal of trying to help somebody who just hasn't been able to get off the dime, every single thing that you've talked about is so doable, makes so much sense, and I'm sure resonates with everybody here. So on behalf of myself and all my listeners, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, I had a blast, Sue. Thank you. So, I want a commitment from you that the next time you're scared could be something in your business or personal, that you'll look fear in the face, accept and even embrace the feeling, and move forward anyway. Promise? Do I have your word? I'll even go one better. If you want to DM me with your specific fear, let's walk through it together. I'm at giftbizunwrapped on Instagram, and I'm serious. Send me a message, and let's get you past this being stalled by your fears. Next week, we're going to be putting the customer in control. Yes, yes, we all talk about being customer-focused, but this is different. I hope you join me next week when I'll fill in the gaps. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other. I've got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people, and just for fun, because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making. My favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze today. Today.